Welcome to episode 6 of the Amadeus Travel Payments podcast and thanks for tuning in. Today we're exploring the impact that PSD2 has had on the travel industry from a payment perspective and what the future has in store for authentication. In this session, our experts explore SCA exemptions, optimizations and recommendations and take a look at the future of solutions such as whitelisting and delegated authentication. This session, originally held in June, is moderated by Jeremy Dybal, Amadeus Payments Head of Commercial. Jeremy is joined by Caroline Drelet, Head of SCA Optimization Europe at Visa, and Mark Van Puyveld, Director of Market Product Management, Cyber and Intelligence Solutions Europe at Mastercard. We're also joined by travel payments and fraud expert Alessandro Monge. I'll be back at the end, but until then, here's Jeremy. So uh, good morning, good afternoon, and uh, good evening. So thank you very much for joining us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeremy Dybel, and I'm head of the commercial team within Amadeus Payments uh, Business Unit. Um, I'll be guiding the conversation today, uh, and we have some, uh, some great panelists here to take us through the whole uh, first three, six, uh, first uh, six months of the 3DS journey. Um, so it's now been six months since uh, SCA became mandatory uh, in the context of PSD2, but there are still significant improvements required uh, for us to improve customer authentication processes while still ensuring the payment experience remains frictionless. Um, so we're going to be exploring that a little bit uh, today. Um, the hour, I think, is going to go incredibly quickly. But just to keep the energy levels high, we're going to start off with a, a polling question for the audience. So um, uh, if we could get the question up on the screen, I'll also read it out as well. There are six answers. So uh, please bear with us while we go through them. Um, what's been the biggest challenge you've faced with SCA over the last six months? Um, so A is implementing a solution that works, uh, B, uh, an increase in SCA declines um, that have been difficult to manage, uh, C, increased friction, D, um, understanding how best to manage transaction flows, E is all of the above, um, and F is uh, none. Uh, my business has not been greatly affected so far by PSD, uh, PSD2 SCA gone. Right, let's see what the results are saying. So understanding how best to manage my transaction flows is the highest score with uh, the 36%. Um, all of the above, of course, is uh, a catch-all for, for that one as well. Um, interestingly to see that uh, some people haven't been affected at all, wondering whether those uh, merchants would be selling predominantly outside of the European area as well. Um, but anyway, we can get into some of the reasons and perhaps explore why you're feeling that way uh, as we go along. So um, thank you very much for your input at this stage. Let's get that off the screen now, please. And we can actually go straight into our questions for the, uh, for the panel. And we'll be going through each of the panelists as well. Um, so the question number one is, what is your view on how things have evolved in the last six months? And how do you think the payment industry has responded to SCA PSD2? So we'll start with Caroline at Visa. Hi, thanks, Jeremy. Well, actually, I must say we've been pleasantly surprised. I think if I describe uh, last year, we've been tirelessly preparing for SCA and on New Year's Eve, we were all working and waiting. 
Um, and we, I think uh, we were hoping for the best, but prepared for the absolute worst. And I must say the worst has not happened. So we've been really pleasantly surprised. So that's not to say there's not been any ACOPS, there has been. But I think the key to the success in all that has been that there's been monitoring and programs in place, I think, with all schemes. And whenever little ACOPS happen, we were all on it, issuers, acquirers, merchants and schemes uh, talking together to resolve it. And that's very important that this dialogue continues because uh, there's still, you know, countries uh, ramping up and uh, that's really the key to success. So um, six months into it, I think the approval rates are similar to what they were uh, on EMV 3DS1 or even slightly better. So we're in really good shape. Excellent. Caroline, thank you. Across to Mark, what's the MasterCard view? Well, it's not different than the, 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 the visa view that uh, Caroline expressed. Uh, we also believe that the, the industry has uh, responded extremely and un unexpectedly well. Uh, there was no cliff edge, as some were predicting, uh, as a doom scenario uh, moving from 2020 to 2021. And that's because the regulators have allowed for soft enforcement, either officially or informally. Uh, and issuers have been uh, and, and still are flexible in the adoption of the regulation. So uh, all participating parties uh, have made great efforts and improvements to the overall authentication performance and EMV 3DS quality. And so uh, as a result, the authentication success rates and the authorization approval rates have come to a level that, was, uh, that is the same as it was before or even better. And I believe even uh, most importantly, and that's probably something that the regulator will like to hear, fraud rates have come down. So the ultimate objective of the regulation was to get lower fraud. Well, this is happening. Excellent. It's, it's really interesting to hear already that the fraud levels are, are decreasing there. Yorong, how about from your perspective? Uh, for uh, for Unipay, uh, we've been following a zero out since the very beginning, and it's been a challenge for the whole industry with the extension and with the COVID nineteen pandemic. But fortunately, things has be became clear, and industry have done a lot to cooperate the regulation. The good thing is that over the last six months, we haven't seen a significant drop or friction in transactions. As per UPI operation regulations, the SC requirement applies to the transaction of which the issue and the acquire both in the EA area, and the merchant should implement SCA in uh, in, uh, uh, in accordance with the requirement with, uh, of the national com competent authorities. So uh, Unipay SC solution is based on the 3DS and uh, uh, also not all the members uh, implement the 3DS, but we see that since the PSD2 SC became effective, uh, uh, most of UPA EA members are ac uh, accelerating the implementation of CDS-based solutions. Thank you. And then we'll move across to Alessandro. Just a quick recap of the question, your view on how things have evolved in the last six months. What's Amadeus thinking? Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I will stay pretty in line with what the other panelists said. Uh, I think the answer was more 
positive uh, than expected. Uh, many companies understood the PSD2 and SCA in general represented a change, not only from a regulatory perspective, but as well an improvement uh, from consumer experience and payment security. Uh, the only thing I would highlight, and I, I think um, Union Pay briefly mentioned it, but uh, is the impact of the pandemic. I mean, I know that it has, it has been a similar impact for, for all the industry in the world, but, but specifically in travel um, and in conjunction with PSD2, I think it had a wide impact on prioritization and coverage of all the channels and scenarios. So for me, as a result, I think many reservation environments still have to adapt uh, and still have to support authentication flow. So even in the future, there will still be work to be done in order to, to be really fully uh, ready with uh, strong customer authentication everywhere in travel. Fabulous, thank you. Um, obviously, SCA is not just a travel-related topic, um, but since most of the people, probably all of the people on here are most uh, interested in that particular topic, what would you highlight in particular about the impact that SCA has had specifically on the travel industry? Mark, let's start with you. Well, as, as we've just explained for the, the rest of the industry, we have seen very little impact uh, on the travel industry also with the PSD2 migration. Uh, I believe that the PSD2 has triggered the attention of the industry collectively uh, to review some of the legacy systems and procedures. And so measures have been taken or are being worked on. Um, specifically travel agents and also Amadeus have been uh, making quite some efforts to understand the impact of the uh, regulation and to find ways to, uh, let's say, uh, uh, mitigate the impact uh, I believe quite unique as well is how the travel industry came together uh, under the umbrella of UK finance, led by Caroline uh, here uh, on the call, uh, to look at for and find solutions to ensure regulatory compliance on the short term, but also on the long run. Thank you. Caroline, what's your view? Well, um, I echo what uh, Mark just said. As you mentioned, we, we worked a lot together to make sure the travel industry could be ready for this. Um, I think the, the travel industry faces particular challenges. So SCA is not easy for anyone, but it was particularly difficult for, for, for this sector uh, because so many of the travel bookings are done indirectly via someone else, via an agent. And therefore, it's the added difficulty of passing the authentication data from that agent to the merchant. Um, but I think in general, especially in the airline industry and um, GDSs like Amadeus, they, they, they work on that. And so they, they, they've uh, dealt with this challenge. I think what concerns me mo more is uh, more the car rental and, and hotels they have the added challenge once they receive this authentication data to have upgraded uh, pause system to deal with them. They can no longer just manually key entry their transaction like they used to do before. They were very manual and they moved to, they need to move to automated ways. And I don't think that's been happening yet. Uh, we have interim solution in place for them, but I'm still a little bit concern and my message for the agent online today is that these are your clients too and they need still a little bit of help we need to move them in that direction thank you and then alessandra what what's amadeus been seeing happening in the travel industry uh, I think, I mean, I will probably continue and expand a little bit what Caroline just said. So in my opinion, 
the, the, the problem associated with travel is that there are many uh, particularly complex situation uh, in which uh, strong customer authentication from a, from a technical perspective becomes even more difficult. And if I have really to group uh, this situation in three categories, the first one is definitely what Caroline was saying. I mean, I, I, I would think about all those situations where even hotels and car rentals are impacted altogether and in which many intermediaries are involved in the payment transaction. And therefore the authentication information has to be carried along the chain in many different interfaces, through many different providers. So it makes everything very, very, very complicated. Uh, the second situation for me is whenever the merchant content is actually booked by corporate accounts. Uh, in those situations, in many, many, many occasions, uh, authentication is not possible simply because uh, the, the card or the payment account is associated to a corporation. So e even if there is a name on the card, it's going to be difficult to complete the authentication because there is really no owner for that payment method. Um, and then the final one probably that I would like to quote here is whenever reservation are done by a third person on, be on, on behalf of the traveler. Um, it is quite typically typical for business scenarios uh, in travel industry to have a third person doing the booking on behalf of the traveler and using as well the method of payment of the traveler. So in those situations, authentication is basically impossible. I mean, authentication was not designed for that. Nonetheless, it is a, it is a reality in travel. In travel. So in, in, in those, for me, those were really the challenges uh, that we, we were facing uh, when PSD2 came into the picture and that for me still in some cases needs to be uh, addressed uh, even in the future. Thank you. So moving on to a more uh, scheme uh, related question, uh, and I'll address uh, each of the three schemes uh, in turn, um, but more generically, the, the question is, your scheme works with many merchants outside of Europe. So what reactions have you seen from these non-European merchants regarding the authentication process? Um, what's the status of EMV 3DS um, on, issuing, on the issuing side outside of the EEA? Because obviously the issuing is, is one of the main key points uh, of the whole 3DS uh, piece as well. We'll start with Yorong. Okay, for um, for UPI, uh, merchants' reactions varies from regions and from categories. Different merchants react differently. More developed markets tend to accept 3DS more easily. Overall, uh, merchants with existing authentication or non-authentication solution continue using the current solution, but since authentication is in favor of the merchant side regarding uh, liability, so merchants tend to choose 3DS authentication when they have the chance. Regarding the issuing side, UPR has already mandated mandate 3DS uh, for water issues uh, in the operation uh, regulation last year. Most issues are in the process of implementing 3DS. So uh, besides UPR also provide a virtual access service to those issues who have, hasn't finished the uh, uh, implementation of 3DS so that the merchant with 3DS functions will not be affected. Thank you. 
Caroline, over to yourself. What, what's happening from a visa perspective? Well, we've not seen really non-EA uh, or non-UK uh, acquired merchants being impacted uh, by this, and that that should be the case. Uh, they're out of scope. I think everybody's watching, but they're, you know, they're not particularly impacted. What is more important is on the issuer front, globally, uh, at Visa, every issuer is now activated on MV3DS. Um, so the global adoption is uh, some, somehow around 90% of the e-com payment value and all bin range are activated. So that means um, EEA and UK acquired merchant uh, can do, you know, EMV3DS uh, and those outside uh, can really do it also on a best effort basis because that's what the regulations say. Even if you're outside of the region, you should do it uh, if you can. But if the ecosystem uh, is ready to handle those and uh, there's the functionality available via 3DS for a merchant to query 3DS and check that the issuer is enabled or not so they know best route for uh, the, 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 the where to send the transaction in authentication. So it, it's working well globally. Thank you. Uh, and then Mark, what is uh, what's the um, MasterCard view? Well, like, like Caroline was saying, uh, we see that, let's say, on the global level, the issues are getting ready and all also are, let's say, moved into the direction of EMV3DS readiness by MasterCard programs. So uh, let's say, although the, let's say it varies by continent, of course, with let's say high readiness in the North Americas compared to the Middle East Africa, but we do expect, let's say, to get a good uh, adoption worldwide uh, at the end of next year. Um, as to your question on merchants, uh, I believe that non-European merchants attitude regarding authentication is not very different than before PSD2. Of course, they need to respect, they know they need to respect the, the, the regulation when, when the conditions apply. But other than that, uh, I believe they perceive authentication as a risk uh, of higher abandonment and, and latency. Uh, on the other hand, they also know that authenticated transactions are getting higher authentic authorization approval rates. Uh, and so that means that most of these merchants and certainly the larger ones have a clear strategy uh, with uh, traffic and business that is to be taken through 3DS and how to maximize frictionless authentication, whether that is going straight to uh, authorization, whether that is uh, by applying the, uh, let's say, authentication ex exemptions, or potentially looking at the alternatives of trusted merchant listing uh, and the SCA delegation. Thank you. Now we're about to come up with a second poll just to uh, to help us shape the direction of the rest of the conversation as well. Um, but before I do that, Esther, have there been any questions so far? Um, and a quick reminder actually that we do have the Q&A box and uh, if people have questions as, as they go, then uh, feel free to, to put questions in there. We'll have a specific Q&A bit right at the end as well. Um, but if there are any questions now, Esther, can, can you see if there are any there for now? Sure. Yeah, we've already seen a couple of questions coming in. So there's, there's a question about how should we handle credit card for a country with a mix of 3DS and non-3DS ecosystems? So... Um, Mark, do you want to give us your view of that one? Yes, so uh, if, if you want, let's say, have a country where there is a, 
a mix of 3DS and no 3DS. Uh, so, so basically the, the conditions always apply, right? So with if it's a country that is part of a regulated uh, market, then of course a 3DS, uh, let's say, needs to be uh, supported by the by the merchant uh, by by the uh, let's say by the by the the, the traveler um, and, and so basically uh, from that angle there is let's say uh, an opportunity uh, as i mentioned to find ways for frictionless by uh, going straight to authorization uh, and in in that way apply the uh, exemptions that are possible with the regulation but on the other hand uh, if authentication is required because the, the tra amounts are too high uh, for instance, then there is no way then basically to deal uh, the authentication in the 3DS environment. Thank you. And then to the, the rest of the three panelists, any other response to that question? Otherwise, we can, can move on. I'd say, you know, I, I echo what Max said. And the, the, the thing is, a merchant that doesn't have 3DS if he's in another country, um, they are out of scope if they are outside of Europe. So it should not be asked for it. And if the merchant has it and wants to do it, as I mentioned, issuers across the world are uh, supporting uh, more and more. So it's not really uh, uh, an issue. It's that kind of the de facto standard that is uh, used for uh, authentication and everybody's moving in that direction. Perfect, thank you. Let's put the, scroll, the uh, poll up on the screen. Um, so this is second poll question. Uh, admin, if you could just put that up on the screen. Um, I'll just quickly read it out as well. So what more would you like to see being done with reference to uh, EMV 3DS? Uh, would you like more information on the benefits of EMV 3DS, uh, performance of EMV 3DS by region or industry, uh, and also the impact outside of Europe? So the, uh, what people would like to see, performance of EMV 3DS by region uh, and by industry as well. So uh, thank you very much for that. Um, obviously we don't have full answers because this is work in progress still, but we can address that uh, as we go through some of the other questions um, uh, during the session as well. But thank you very much. Let's remove that uh, that question now. We'll go on to um, the, the, back to the, the panelists, and um, we'll actually we'll go straight to uh, Alessandro. So, Alessandro, you've been in touch with many airlines in the last six months. What's the type of feedback you've had from these merchants um, with respect to EMV 3DS and also the overall performance as well? Okay, thank you, thank you, Jeremy. Um, I would say, generally speaking, the feedback is positive. Um, and more specifically, uh, travel merchants, I think they see very well the adoption of frictionless responses into the authentication flow. Um, and for this reason, also, I think uh, there is a very strong appetite for exemption, for example, in, uh, in strictly speaking, in the, in the European economic area. The, the frictionless flow is something that did not exist officially with 3DSB1. Um, so introducing it in 3DSB2 made the authentication experience much more positive than before. And this was really welcomed by, by the industry. Um, nonetheless, I think there are still some question marks um, around multiple aspects. For me, for example, authentication methods, um, according to the protocol, and I guess that's normal, I think, but uh, 
authentication methods still depends a lot on issuing capabilities. And this is not always unified. I mean, it, in, in many cases, it depends on the issuing bank technology. Um, in some cases, the newest technology are used. So fingerprint ID and push notification are um, introduced into the authentication process. But in other cases, we have still seen secret passwords, one-time passwords, which are a little bit, I would say from, from a consumer perspective, are a little bit worse. Um, the second point for me is about acquiring exemption uh, because these have very, very stringent condition in order to be adopted. And specifically in travel for me, since there are many different channels and many, many different touch points involved, it is not always difficult for, it is not always easy for travel merchants to actually have a unique approach towards exemption. So you, it, it's sometimes it's kind of difficult to understand if you can use exemption everywhere or you can, if you can use it only in certain conditions and certain situations. And finally, and I think this is also specific to travel, but not only to travel, um, there is a lot of interest towards whitelisting programs. Uh, in travel, we know that there are a lot of frequent flyers, people that are purchasing tickets very often within the same company. Um, and whitelisting programs are, would be really useful for that. And they are still not... Uh, fully spread, uh, not in Europe and, of course, not uh, globally. So there is a lot of interest there and a lot of question marks still. Excellent. Thanks there, uh, Alessandro. Broadening the question out to the schemes and uh, particularly, uh, let's see if we can get some some key lessons learned um, from, from the team here, because uh, that's probably one of the key things that we, would be nice to, to take away with us today. And also, what are the tips that you can give uh, travel merchants to optimize SCA or special or specific recommendations? Um, Caroline, let's uh, actually no, let's let's start with Mark, first of all. Hey, Jeremy. Yes. So although we mentioned in the beginning that the performance of the travel industry is, is really quite good, um, there is, let's say, some margin uh, the, of transactions that can still uh, be improved. Uh, and more specifically, we are still seeing quite, a, a, let's say, some share of transactions that are coming in without an authentication and that are coming in without an exemption. So we, we call them actually non-compliant transaction, if you want, from a regulation point of view. Uh, and I believe there is room for merchants to avoid those non-compliant transactions because, uh, first of all, uh, issuers may not remain as flexible as they've been and so may become more uh, strict. And what we've seen, if issuers are becoming more strict, they start to decline and soft decline those transactions. So we see uh, on non-compliant transactions, a soft decline rate that is 10 times higher than when a transaction is getting exempted with a TRA exemption also the hard declines are at least double. Uh, so something that needs to be avoided. So uh, as, as also among, uh, Alessandro was saying, uh, you need to maximize the, the, uh, the, uh, the exemptions when you cannot obtain an authentication. Uh, and and to, to, let's say, to maximize the, the performance, you need to make sure that the uh, performance of browser, but specifically app-based uh, solutions is uh, perfect. And, and, and so you need to work with your providers to make sure to take out any kind of uh, residue of transactions that are getting lost in the challenge process. As I mentioned that you get potentially more soft declines, uh, you must as a merchant be able to uh, handle those soft declines as well. We see today that uh, merchants are 
increasingly better at uh, managing uh, and receiving and dealing with softy clients, but that still could be much better because today more than 50% of those transactions is not getting retried and potentially is getting lost. Uh, and finally, um, avoid panky entered cardinal present transactions. We still see a good share of them today. And those are transactions that likely may get us, uh, declined or soft declined by uh, issuers because those are not fitting any, uh, let's say, condition of the regulation. Thank you. Caroline, uh, the, the tips or the key lessons that, uh, that you can see? Well, I concur with the tips uh, Mark gave. So if I summarize that, I'd say really, really essential to work with your provider on an exemption strategy, uh, because I said it depends who's your provider, who's your acquirer, uh, and they are the one who can help you with that. And um, then, but be ready to, for handling soft decline as well, because sometimes, so although we do see a very high approval rate on the TRA exemption, but it could happen, or if you, if you, when you go direct to authorization, it could happen. So be ready for uh, exemption and soft decline uh, in summary. So if I want to add a little bit to that, I think that the quality and the quantity of data you send to 3DS uh, is also important. We've seen it makes a difference in whether the issuer will agree um, to go frictionless uh, or you know, agree to the exemption or use its own exemption to provide a frictionless experience. So you know, review again with your 3DS provider and the more data you provide, uh, the better. And last, I would add specific to when the authentication is done by the OTA, it's very important to remember that the, you know, the, the one leg out uh, scenario, so what is out of Europe, is determined by the acquirer location. So if it's the OTA, the agent that authenticates, they may not have the same uh, location as the merchant that will be dependent on their own merchant. And so let's say the issuer might be ready to go frictionless because it, they think it's one leg out. But when it comes to authorization and they suddenly see it's actually within Europe and they would have preferred to step up, we've seen not a big number, but it can lead to decline. So the way to avoid that in the visa recommendation, we say it's very important for the OTA to try to understand what location their merchant for whom they authenticate um, are acquired in. And so if they have access to use different acquire bin at, at authentication level, use one that will provide a EEA or UK acquired location so that the issuer will right away take the right decision. If it's not possible to have a, not an acquire bin in, in that location, then you ask for a step up at authentication. Okay, it means not frictionless, but it means where you won't get a SCA decline and have to come back, which, um, in a, in a lot of uh, indirect booking, not so much for airlines, but for hotel and car rental, if you're going to be sent back later when the merchant authorizes, they, it's better they know right away. So uh, that's what we say, make sure to ask for a step up if the, the, the merchant uh, is in the EA and there's, you want to make sure you communicate that properly uh, to uh, the issuers. So th these are my tips. Thanks there, Caroline. And you're wrong, the, the tips from a union pay perspective. 
for a Unipay perspective, since the industry has a hard time understanding regulations, uh, they need more co consequent interpretation from the authorities before they actually start to develop so solutions. So uh, we suggest that the merchants uh, with the authentication enabled uh, in advance to uh, to avoid to lose the, uh, the first move uh, advantages besides, as uh, said by Visa and MasterCard, to optimize the SA for the traveler merchants or for the water merchants, we strongly suggest to apply as much exemptions as the uh, at the merchant side. And when the merchant gets the softer, uh, softer decline reply, the merchant should send the authentication uh, request to uh, approve to get the approval of the transactions. So, uh, on, as for this, uh, as the much friction friction is was applied, so there will be no to factor authentication and to uh, increase the frictions. Thank you. So now let's take a, a look to the future. Uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to dedicate some time to the upcoming scheme mandates for merchants to watch. So we'll go around the, uh, the panel again, and just to say what changes should we be expecting uh, to see with 3DS v2. Um, Mark, let's, uh, let's start with you. Indeed, Jeremy. Um, MasterCard is working on uh, several programs to discourage the use of uh, 3DS uh, 1.0. So since the beginning of the year, we've put, uh, let's say, a roadmap in place uh, where we see uh, little by little uh, 3DS 1.0 become less uh, interesting to use uh, by, by merchants, uh, by issuers. So uh, important date this year is October 2021. Uh, as of that day, we will no longer return attempts to um, merchants that are sending in 3DS 1.0 transaction, but are not getting a, a, an answer from an issuer. In that case, when there is no attempt, they will lose uh, the liability shift. And, and of course, uh, once, that, once that is happening, it could be a trigger for issuers to stop using 3DS 1.0. I've not heard any uh, signs of that yet, but that is something that could happen. And then next year in April 2022, uh, we are not accepting any new merchant anymore, nor account ranges, by the way, to be set up on 3DS 1.0. And then final date is October 2022. That's the end date of 3DS 1.0 as far as uh, MasterCard is concerned. That is when that uh, version will be decommissioned. Uh, and, and that's the end of it. Uh, in terms of the other versions, uh, you, you know that we, MasterCard is currently on EMV3DS 2.1. Uh, but of course, since we have been doing EMV3DS for a while, uh, it means that many of the PSPs uh, are coming uh, with their letter of approval of EMVCO to the end because that's a two-year cycle. And so we will see increasingly uh, those PSPs move into EMV3DS 2.2. Excellent. Thank you there, Mark. Um, in terms of, um, actually, you're on. Let, let's go to you next. Uh, what mandates are just around the corner from a UPI perspective? Uh, so for you, uh, for UPI, UPI already mandated uh, the EEA acquire 
and uh, merchants and also the SEA acquire and merchants to implement uh, 3DS version 2. And most of our key acquire complete the implementation and roll out merchant gradually. We are very happy to see the whole industry moving towards 3DS step by step. And it's becoming easy for cut scheme to roll out the product since the market has uh, has already accepted the product and the product user experience is sim seamless. Also, 3DS and other solutions will still coexist in the market for quite some time, and there might be some other innovative products. We believe in the coming years, 3DS will be well adopted uh, globally. And with upgrading of 3DS version 2, we expect this solution can improve the transaction security and also the water conversation rate and even solve some other pain points. Thank you. Uh, and then Caroline, from a visa perspective, again, there's some fairly pressing dates to be aware of as well. So can you just take us through what's yeah. just around the corner? And the date, in a way, are a bit similar to what Mark discussed for, for MasterCard. So basically, um, 3DS uh, 1 will be totally decommissioned 15th October 2022, so just over a year from now. But the dec decommissioning starts gradually, if you want, from this October 15th, where, again, Visa will no longer provide the response when the issuer no longer supports EMV1. Uh, that means uh, that if the merchant will be into 3DS but will not get any liability protection for it. So it is uh, very important to move to uh, EMV 3DS. And then I would say if you're moving, move to 2.2. So 2.2 is where we all need to be. This is where all the exemptions are supported. So there might be uh, different, um, not all features are in 2.1. So if you're moving, it's 2.2 that you really need. Um, and so for example, uh, this is where you will have yeah, all the exemption uh, and there's also more, uh, it, it supports more data and more devices. So I really recommend uh, you move to 2.2 uh, as soon as possible. If you cannot, then it's 2.1, but still at least it's gonna give you liability protection. And I think um, in terms of OTA, it's very, very important because um, while airline authorized right away and they may not need that, hotel and car rental, they mostly do MITs. So you need a step up request and you don't have that in EMV, uh, in 3DS1, that's only in, in two, both versions, but you really need to move towards two, not just because it's gonna get decommissioned, but because of all the functionality that you, you really need. Thank you. Uh, thanks there, Caroline. So I guess that's the, the end to this part of the, uh, of the discussion. We've seen quite a lot of, uh, questions come in from the audience as well. So I'm just going to hand over to Esther to, uh, to take us through those. Yes, thank you, Jeremy. And indeed, we have a number of interesting questions that have come in. I'm going to read them out. Uh, in the meantime, if anyone wants to uh, suggest or, or ask anything else, do uh, use the Q&A function or raise your hand and we can unmute you so that you can speak up your question. So um, there's a question here that perhaps Alessandro can answer. So we have a network of agencies that are connected to us via OTA, and in the past, they just sent us 
credit card details and we push this information to PSP. How can we handle payments via OTA with 3DS? Okay, yeah, yeah, Hester, I can I can take this one. Um, I think that with the introduction of PSD2, uh, now, of course, uh, strong customer authentication is mandatory uh, on any uh, e-commerce channel, so even on online travel agency websites. And uh, due to the fact that, as, I, as both Caroline and, and the other panelists explained before, uh, the, the authentication has to be processed even if the OTA is not the merchant of record. Uh, there are, of course, some shared responsibilities between the OTA and the merchant of record itself. Uh, in this particular situation, the OTA will be responsible uh, for the authentication process and uh, should be responsible to support EMV3DS or 3DS 1.0 at least to be compliant. Um, the authentication process will need to be completed. And once it is completed, uh, there is a series of results that will be returned by the infrastructure that will need to be used in order to process the payment authorization. These results will need to be carried over from the OTA to the actual merchant of record. So if in order to reach the merchant of record you're using in the middle at GDS or you're using any other intermediaries, all those will need to be able to support the authentication results. And I think something that I would, I would like to point out is that through UK finance and thanks to the coordination of Caroline and all the other schemes as well and the biggest uh, travel industry representatives, a complete guide that is describing all the results and all the data that should be carried over in this system, in this technology has been, has been published and it's a very detailed guide. So you can find a lot of information there and you can understand exactly what the OTA is supposed to do and what the merchant of record is supposed to receive and, uh, and do as well in order to complete the payment transaction. Okay, thank you, Alessandro, very clear. There's a question related to the delay in the UK. So the UK, in the UK, the PSD2 mandate has been delayed to March, 2022, but clear guidance on soft declines is not available. Is there any update that you could share? So perhaps Mark, Caroline, between the two of you, you could respond yeah. to that. I'm, I'm, go ahead. Yeah. I can take that. Uh, so um, indeed, uh, so, so basically what happens in the UK is very similar to what we've seen happening in Europe and in the EEA. So, so basically we have seen that um, on, the, on the 1st of January, uh, let's say, uh, issues were starting with soft declines uh, based on certain conditions. And over time, let's say, uh, the industry has uh, caught up with uh, authentication or exemptions. Same is happening now in UK. Since the 1st of June, soft declines is the instrumental way how issues will actually determine when they need an authentication or when they need an exemption. And this was supposed to continue until full um, let's say, a de deployment on the 15th of uh, September. But um, since now the extension has come here until March 2022, what we're going to see is a longer period where issues will continue to use soft declines to indicate whenever they are, let's say, not satisfied with the transaction in the way it is presented and do need to get a strong consumer authentication. Yeah, and I, I'd like to add uh, a couple of things on that. I think, you know, people think, oh, there's a delay. I don't need to do anything until next March. Well, that, that's not true. That the, 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 I think sometimes the merchants have misunderstood that message. So 
Ramp pop has started in, in June, okay? And the way the UK issuers have decided to do it is randomly. That's why they're not telling you more. It has some pros and cons, but uh, I think the benefit they see to that approach is that in other markets, they often did it by transaction value. So if you did a high value transaction, you were always the one impacted versus the low value merchant was never impacted until three, four months later. Here, the view is that it's more equal. Uh, it's going to be random, but it means everybody's got to be ready. Anytime from now, the ramp up has started, you may get an SCA decline. So if you are not ready yet, be a, be a, you, know, you, you, you will see some decline starting and they will ramp up and the percentage of what they do every month is not known. But what I can say, it's going to keep going up. And what the delay though has done is that uh, towards October to December, it's probably gonna plateau, whatever. So the ramp up will be probably a bit slower because it doesn't need to be 100% by September. It's probably gonna plateau at, you know, uh, for the, the Christmas season, which is a good thing. And, and then it will continue up till March. But I would say it's not because they've announced that delay, uh, you should delay your own plan. Go full speed ahead. And then, okay, take the chance to go straight to authorization if you want, but be ready to handle the decline. So the best way to do that, if you really want frictionless experience, is handle exemption. Be ready with your exemption strategy and go with that. Sorry, I was on mute. Very good advice, I was saying. Thank you. So there's a question related to refunds. Most of the refunds are getting declined recently. What is the good way to handle refund fail issue? Currently, we're doing the bank transfer for failed credit card refunds. I don't know who would like to take that one. Well, I'm happy to, to comment a little bit and there's probably many ways to answer that. So first of all, I said to anybody that contact uh, us to say we have a decline and say, uh, you need to tell your acquirer and your acquirer has a direct line into us to investigate. So we need the detail. And it could be that it's just one issuer that has decided to handle refund in a certain way. And we can see that right away and discuss with them and find what is the issue. Okay. Uh, in our view, the, the refunds uh, don't need uh, SCA. Uh, and so this should not be the cause for the decline, but maybe an issuer thinks they need it and we can uh, clarify that with them. Okay, thank you. And there's an interesting question oh. here. So, sorry, was, no, okay. Um, looking into what the future can bring, you've already spoken about solutions about like whitelisting and delegate authentication. Is there any example of important merchants that have already successfully adopted delegated authentication solutions? And does this improve conversion rates? Who would like to take that one? Um, yes, so it's an interesting uh, topic. And so indeed, uh, as I mentioned earlier, merchants are very keen on finding ways to go for frictionless authentication to reduce the, let's say the, the abandonment and the customer friction. Um, so far, we have seen pilots that are in preparation of SCA delegation. Um, and so there is a strong interest with merchants. Um, but uh, let's say so far, uh, it's only in the pilot mode. And that's just because um, 
all issuers for sure have been focused on getting the uh, PSD2 migration absorbed, uh, improving the performance. So it has not been top of mind, uh, but now that we are, let's say there uh, at least to a level of a par parity between the, the previous version, uh, there is room that certain issuers are now ready to participate in those pilots. So we are looking forward to those pilots to bring us the insights that is being asked for here. Thank you, Mark. Would you like uh, to say anything else, Caroline? Yeah, I can just say, um, I think it's all about in its infancy because as Mark said, everybody was getting ready for the main thing <laughs> happening. And, but you know, the, the TIA exemption is the main exemption used, but it's up to a maximum of 250 euros. So I think for the travel industry, where the amounts are often higher, this is a very, very interesting um, uh, exemption to consider trusted listing. But when the booking is indirect, so if it's not directly with the merchant that would be listed, that may bring some issues. That doesn't mean it's not uh, something that can be resolved. But, you know, whenever you think about trusted listing, it's just a bit of an added complexity. But I think it's going to, uh, we see a lot of interest and that's going to increase in the year to come. And to just say a word about delegated authentication, I think that's also something very interesting. There's not many examples yet, but there are some, I think it's more, some wallets are live out there with that and it's working very well. But merchants per se, that's a, a bit more pilot than up to come and why it's because issuers uh, from a regulatory perspective they remain responsible so they have to come to grips to say am i comfortable delegating um authentication with some someone else but more and more we are you know working with all issuers to start feeling comfortable with this concept and i think over time uh, delegated authentication will become uh, in the ecosystem very, very important way to handle authentication. Okay, well, thank you very much. I think we have perhaps time for one last question before we uh, wrap up. So um, this has somehow already been answered, but um, do you think that the activation of 3DSV2 is supposed to be adopted progressively or not? And what uh, about issuers readiness? So I think it has already been mentioned, but just if you would like to respond directly to this question. Yes, uh, maybe for me, uh, for UPI perspective, uh, we think that the 3DS should be uh, adopted pro um, progressively. Uh, so we enabled, uh, we mandated the EA and SEA acquire and merchant to support, and we will uh, see the performance and then uh, mandate uh, other, uh, other acquire and uh, merchants to adopt 3DS globally. Okay, thank you, Jerome. And um, there is one comment here from uh, Paul Rogers, who is um, chairing the UK Merchant and Gateway Engagement and Readiness Working Group. And he's uh, just um, asking us whether we can also uh, share with the, the panel, the, the attendees today, that they're going to reinforce the different topics that have been shared today and what Caroline has been saying as well related to readiness in the UK on a webinar that's happening on the 1st of July that will give more detail on the revised um, ramp up. The title is uh, Strong Customer Authentication in the UK, Revised Ramp Up Approach and Implementation, 
merchants. Event date is the 1st of July at 10 a.m. Okay, so hope that that's uh, fine for you, uh, Paul, what I just mentioned. All right, so with that, we do have a couple of additional questions that uh, we will take in writing and, and get back to the people who've asked them. So thank you all for uh, participating in the Q&A. And I'll go back to you, uh, Jeremy, to, to ramp up, to uh, close the, the session today, to wrap up. Yeah, I, I think we've had some really interesting conversations, some great questions, and, and of course, great answers as well. Um, if we're trying to summarize that into key takeaways, um, I'd just like to ask each of you for a closing remark that you'd like the audience to take away um, about your recommendations for travel merchants on author. Or, can get the word out authentication um so you're on let's start with you what would your key takeaway be uh, the key takeaway on recommendation for traveler merchants on authentication is uh, first to use the stand standard product meaning the emo cds to complete the authentication if needed and to apply exemption as much as possible to reduce friction thank you uh, Mark, what, what would your key takeaway be? Well, first and foremost, I would like to wish the travel industry a uh, soon return to the pre-COVID uh, business performance without any further operational restrictions. I think that's probably most on your mind. So I think, I hope that we are get, going to get there quite, quite soon. Um, we have taken together the hurdle of the PSD2 migration. Uh, and so we have managed to reach the pre-regulation uh, performance. Uh, but to us, it should not be an end state. And so I encourage the, all the travel uh, merchants to continue pushing their uh, providers to a better performance, even better performance, uh, because we believe that ultimately uh, the performance of Cardinal present, as we call it, should, uh, let's say, be as close as possible to the card present uh, uh, performance. And I think that's what we, uh, let's say, should aim for. So. Um, now that fraud levels are coming down, we should get the authentication and the authorization performance to a better level as well. Fabulous. Thank you, Mark. And, and Caroline? Oh, um, so what I'd like to say is that, you know, whenever a big regulation like that comes into place, it's like a headache for everybody and no, nobody's happy. But I think let's try to see the positive side of it. Actually, what this regulation has done is that it, it moves the, the, the payment industry uh, really into the real digital age and adopting really uh, uh, edge, cutting edge technologies such as biometrics and risk-based decisioning. And it has, less, it has led to you know, very good approval rates still that are even getting better and lower fraud. So actually it's been a headache, but there's a lot of good things that happen out of it. And the rest of the world is watching. Every week we start getting questions from around the world that say, hey, what can we learn from this? Our country wants to do that. Our region wants to do that. So I think what we've done here, we were you know, uh, blazing the road and I think we'll see that it's, it's gonna be, that the good parts of it will be adopted uh, worldwide uh, eventually. And so as a very quick tip, I think to, I've mentioned it uh, during the before, but say move to EMV 3DS 2.2, respond to soft decline. And so airline, you're in good position. OTAs, you need to help your car rental and hotel merchants to uh, really make sure uh, they get to uh, where they should be. 
Thank you. Alessandra, we'll let you have the last word. What would your key takeaway be? Thank you, Jeremy, and thanks everybody for participating again. Um, three, three rapid points. To stay in line with what Mark said, I think we are, we are starting finally to see the end of the tunnel. Even in from the distance, I think we are seeing it. So with the increase of bookings post-pandemic, uh, review again all those channels that have not been properly tackled due to prioritization issues. I mean, now, now it's really the time. Secondly, maintain a frequent conversation with your payment providers in order to stay up to date with latest regulatory news, protocol updates, any mandate publication or similars. And finally, work on the optimization of your authentication and payment flow. I think most of the time, certain headaches for consumer could be avoided by applying the correct payment process for the correct environment. So review all these and optimize your flow. Fabulous. Thank you then. Thank you, everybody. Esther, back to you. Okay. Well, thank you, Jeremy, Caroline, Mark, Yurong, Alessandro, for this really engaging discussion. I think it, there's a lot of very useful insights that we're all taking back home. And of course, thank you everyone who has listened to this Fireside Chat. I hope you have all enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you very much and bye-bye everyone. And that just about sums up this episode. So what's coming up in the next few? Well, next time we're exploring flexible payment methods and how the industry can accelerate travels recovery with flexible payment options. After that, we're taking a deep dive into the end-to-end traveler payment journey by exploring the steps airlines can take to create a frictionless future for travel payments. Until then, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll be back soon with episode 7.